Go ahead and open to Luke chapter 8. It is nice to see you guys this morning. Um, how many of you had fun at camp? Yeah, it feels like it's, it's been a little bit. And um, coming out of it, I want us to go ahead and look at a passage in Luke chapter 8. If you don't know where that is, that's one of the Gospels right at the beginning of the New Testament. Luke is a book that is a written testimony of Jesus' time on earth. And actually for the next three um, services that we're going to gather together throughout the end of the summer, we're going to actually look at one story in particular of Jesus telling um, an illustration, a story. How many of you like a good story? Amen. Amen. I love stories. All right. Um, But one in particular that Jesus told had a lot of power, not only in what was said, but it has a lot of power in what it says about humanity. How many of you know in this room, just stick up your hand, that sometimes, everybody say sometimes, sometimes you just don't understand what you're feeling in your heart. Um, no, Pastor Jeff, I understand everything that's going on inside of me. Yeah, sometimes in our lives we have trouble understanding how we feel or why we feel the way that we do. How many of you sometimes are a little confused about your relationship with God sometimes? Oh, yeah. It is a confusing thing. Jesus understands that and speaks a lot to it. You know, when Jesus Christ came to earth and he came as God in flesh, he not only came to die for our sins, but he also came to show us what God was like in human form. He also showed us what it's like to relate to God in a way that we could understand by speaking to us, by showing to us and explaining it us in terms that we can understand. We see that happening in this story before us. I want you to look with me in Luke chapter 8, verse 4. Jesus is speaking to the crowds, and he would tell them this story, this parable. He says, While a large crowd was gathering, and the people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told them this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. That's a lot. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, that's us, let them hear Now, his disciples asked him what this parable meant, and he said that the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. And this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path that are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hears the word, retains it, and by persevering, produces a crop. You say amen to God's word with me this morning. This is one of the few stories, parables, actually, through Matthew, Mark, and Luke that's actually mentioned in all three of the Gospels. See, it's a powerful story, not only because of the value that it puts on the word of God, but 
on the perspective on how the word actually works in your life. See, when you read through this story, we're actually going to be spending three weeks in this. As you can tell, there's a lot in this to unpack. And maybe you've heard this story before. Maybe you understand. Maybe you've thought about maybe your own heart as being the soil and how you receive it. But I want you to look at something with me before you even get into any of that. You know what's profound about this story? That Jesus would say that the word of God is like a seed. Can you say seed with me? Seed. All right. Sounds like you're saying seed, but seed. The word of God is a seed. This is what he says. He doesn't say that the word of God is a medicine that just makes all your problems go away. See, he doesn't say that the word of God is like a magic lamp that you can wish anything in accordance to it and you'll get it. But when Jesus, who is the word of God, would be talking about his own word, if you ask Jesus, how would you describe the word of God in my life? He'd say, it's like the seed of a plant. Which is an interesting thing because when you look at what a seed is, it's not impressive when you look at it at first glance. But a seed is more powerful than most things in this world for many reasons. One, it has the ability to bring life. And not only does it have the ability to bring life, it has the ability to bring life into places where there is no life at all. You got a bunch of dirt. You put a seed in there and you water it, all of a sudden life is brought. Life that can reproduce and exponentially grow. See, most things in our world, they address things that are already alive. They keep things that are already alive, alive for longer but a seed has the ability to bring life in a new and a fresh way. Interestingly enough, like good soil in verse 8, the word has the ability also to yield a crop that's a hundred times over in our own lives. Did you know that one apple seed has the ability to produce 1,500 apple seeds just in one season when it becomes a tree? And then from there it produces even more and more and more. That's a lot. Amen? And yet, Jesus would say when it comes to your life, that when the word is put into your life in a proper way, it has the ability to yield the same kind of crop. It has the ability to transform your life in the same way a hundredfold. You know what's interesting about this story? At the end, it says that it yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. In that day and age, uh, a harvest that reaped about 12 times was a good crop. Rarely, everybody say rarely, rarely was a harvest a hundredfold. It was very rare. Talks about it actually earlier in the Bible. Many of us know the story of Abraham, a descendant that was called by God. It talks about his son Isaac when he went out and lived on his own and he planted a harvest. And it, what it says in Genesis 26 is that he reaped a harvest that was also a hundredfold. And it says, because the Lord blessed it. See, an abundant harvest isn't because of our own effort. It's because of God's blessing on it in your lives. That's the power of the word. See, Jesus would also talk about plants and seeds. One of the verses that he would say himself when it comes to it is in John 12, 24. He says, very truly, I tell you that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. See, when Jesus talks about what a seed is, the first thing he says is, it has to die first before it can produce a harvest. And what he's saying is that when Jesus enters into your life, when the Word of God enters into your life, you need to recognize the death 
of Jesus and the resurrection of him first. You can't have the word of God in your life. It can't grow in your life in an exponential, fruitful way unless you're willing to recognize the death and the life of Jesus that came from it. Amen? See, the word of God is more powerful than we could ever imagine, and it has the ability to bring about incredible life in our lives. Maybe you're here this morning and you're someone who has been seeking God, or maybe you haven't sought him in his word, or maybe you have, but you haven't seen that life quite yet. And this is a parable that is truly for you from Jesus. I believe that this morning over that. Do you believe that? See, in the same way God wants to impact our lives a hundredfold through his word, I believe that your faith can be a hundred times what it is if you let God sow his word in you. I believe that God and his faithfulness can make your purity a hundredfold of what it is right now. I believe that God can take your confidence in what God says about you and take that and make it a hundredfold. I believe that God can take your friendships and the way that you love people, the way you serve, the way you sacrifice, and make it a hundredfold. I believe God can take the peace in that difficult situation at home and make it a hundredfold right now because of the word that's been imparted in you. Now, the funny thing, this is what I struggle with. I don't know about you, but the funny thing is that the word has a lot of power. Amen. Seed is pretty powerful, but for me, oftentimes I'll fall into a, a way of thinking, and many of us may fall into this thinking that we think that there's something defect with the word when it's not functioning properly in our own lives. The word isn't necessarily the issue whether or not there will be a harvest. The word is the word. Everybody say the word is the word. The word is the word. Word up. All right? The word is not the issue. It's the soil of which it is planted in that will determine whether it will be a harvest or not. Let me ask you guys a question. How many of you like soccer? Sports. It's church. We've got to talk about sports. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love fumbles. All right. Uh, now, I want you to... How many of you have ever had to try out for something in your life? How many of you know that's stressful? Especially when you don't know. You don't know. So, I want you to imagine something. We got, we got fall sports coming up. We got soccer coming up. Maybe you're someone that's like a little, little on edge right now about making a certain team. So, I want, I want to just... Uh, I want you to I want you to imagine something for a minute. You are now a coach. Everybody nod your head. Yeah, I'm a coach. I'm the best coach ever. All right. Now I want you to imagine you got you got tryouts in two weeks. You're the soccer coach. The best soccer coach out there. So then you have a student that comes up and this student is a goalie. How many of you ever played goalie in your life? Yeah. Maybe you're like a good goalie. Maybe you're like Scott Sterling-esque, all right, when it comes to it. Maybe you're just not very good. Now, I want you for a minute just to think. I want you to think about this kid. This kid that approaches you is not a good goalie. I mean, he's, it's just as easy as day to score on him, all right? And he walks up to you, and he's like, I really want to make the team. You're like, all right, well, you got two weeks to work and get ready, but right now where you're at, I'm, I'm probably going to cut you. You need to get better at goal. And he's like, okay, okay, I'll do it. So two weeks comes by. And here's tryouts. And here comes old goalie boy walking up. And you're like, ah, you're back. Did you, did you work on your game? And he's like, sure did. And you put him, 
in the goal, and he goes, oh, no, 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 that's, you put him in the big goal, you know? And he's like, oh, no, 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 I brought my own goal. Angel, if you want to put up, and he brings out a goal like that, up, and he just sits in front of it, and he's like, I did it. I figured out how to be a good goalie. And you're like, that's, that's against the rules. That's, that's not how it works. And he goes, yeah, no, I, I listened to what you said. He goes, you said that I had to, to fix some issues. And really, I found out that it's the goal that's the issue. The goal's too big. So I just made it smaller. And you as a coach go, you're cut. Get out of here. And he's like, thank you, bye. So, obviously, no one would ever do that at Trouts. If you would ever do that at Trouts, you will be cut. Now, as ridiculous as that story is, I want you to think about something for a minute because it's pretty darn easy in our lives to look at circumstances, rules, regulations, things around us, between us and victory, than rather maybe ourselves and the own soil of our hearts. It's easy to look at the word and go, well, that doesn't fit my life. This doesn't fit my circumstances. And so, God, I need you to produce a harvest. I need you to work in my life. But you got to do it. You got to change. You got to change the size of the goal when really victory lies within addressing our own hearts. It lies within addressing the things that are keeping us from truly producing a harvest. See, God's word isn't defective, but rather it's the soil of our hearts that truly is the difference between a harvest that's a hundredfold and no harvest at all. I want to look at the first specific um, seed and soil this morning. In the next few weeks, we're going to look at the two other ones and how it relates. Um, a couple things about, does that sound good to everyone? So we're just going to look at that one this morning. Another thing about it as well, just to note before we go through these, is that the soil of your heart isn't just one general thing, but the soil of your heart can be different in different aspects of your life. When it comes to loving others, you may have an amazing soil in your life, and you may be able to, re- to receive it. When it comes to loving your parents, you could have a completely different attitude and soil when God speaks in it. When it comes to maybe laying down your life for certain people that are unlovable, you could have a different soil. So it's not just one general thing, but it's different things that God continues to address in our lives and meets us in as well. And so let's, let's look at the first one together, shall we? Shall we? <laughs> yes, Pastor Jim. Verse 15, um, my apologies, verse 12 talks about a trampled path. And when it says that those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so they may not believe and be saved, that can easily be misinterpreted. That's, this is what it's not saying. It's not saying that, well, God's going to speak stuff to you, and then Satan's going to come in and take it before you get it. And you're like, huh? That's not what it's saying right there. But what it is saying when it talks about a trampled path, you know that in that day and age, there wasn't like paths that were like cemented outside like we see um, day to day. Paths were made because people would just walk all over, especially in fields. People would just walk and they would trample everything until it was just so flat and it was so compact that nothing could get in it. You know what that passage is saying is that when a seed can't get into the soil, it's a lot easier for Satan to pull away something that you won't even let into your heart. So when you don't receive things from the Lord, when you're just like, nope, I'm not even going to consider that in my life, 
it's a lot easier for those things to kind of just go away and to go away in the wind as it does. That's what it's talking about when it says that there isn't necessarily room. Psalm 10.4, it talks about wakeness, and it says that in all his thoughts, there is no room for God. And so not walking in righteousness is just as much not letting God into your life. And what's interesting about this passage in the trampled path is that, like we said, a trampled path is something that is made from people walking all over it. And I don't think there's any coincidence in this passage between the two and how they relate to one another. How many of you know when I say the term hard-hearted, what that means? Maybe you know what it's like in your own life where you go, am I? Do I have a hard heart? What does that actually mean? Hard-heartedness is this thought that you won't let anyone or anything, even your feelings, touch a certain area of your life because of maybe a past hurt. Maybe because of something that's happened. Maybe it's guarding yourself because something happened. You go, I'm never going to let that happen again. So I'm not going to trust. I'm not going to open up that part of my life. See, being hard-hearted doesn't just happen. People aren't born hard-hearted. Things happen in our lives. Stuff is addressed. Maybe we witness things that happen that cause us to address things in our life. I've, I think the best way I've heard it described is that a hard heart, it's unprocessed or unforgiven hurt. And what that means is that maybe someone has wronged you in your life, whether it's big or small. Maybe they've repeatedly wronged you, whether it's big or small. And it's something that's gone unaddressed. It's gone something unforgiven in your heart. It's not even necessarily things that happen to you. In fact, more times than not, it happens when we watch things happen. There was a study that was done in China um, over social media. Um, and you want to know what they found when they looked at things like Twitter um, and social media accounts is that there's a correlation between anger and social media. There's like a, a, a noticeable anger. That when you go on there, maybe you read stuff people post. Maybe you see the way that people hurt one another. Maybe you just see news in the world that's just unjust and hurtful that you're just like, oh. Maybe you see things that your friends are doing that you're like, why do they keep doing that? Why do they keep dressing that way? Why do they keep treating people that way? Why are they stuck in that way of thinking? But what you don't realize is that this hurt and this unprocessed Pain just continues to build up in your heart. And what happens in that is you either address it one way or another. You can bring that before the Lord. You can say, you know what, I'm going to surrender that to you. Or you can become hard-hearted because it's really hard to live in that in-between. And you just say, you know what, I'm just going to be a judgment call that all people are terrible in this way. I'm going to make a judgment call that people can't be believed in. I'm going to make a judgment call that my parents are terrible people. I'm going to make a judgment call that I can't trust this friend anymore for the rest of my life. Because that's the only way I'm going to keep myself safe. And what happens is a hard heart becomes a little bit harder. And all of a sudden, things like doubt, cynicism, apathy, passive aggressiveness, and, or even just passive begins to come into our hearts and a lack of belief begins to happen in the people around us, whether it's our parents, our siblings, our friends, the world. and what. But ultimately, you begin to doubt what God can do in this world. And when you doubt what God can do in this world, you begin to doubt what God can do in general. I remember 
when I gave my life to the Lord and came back to him in college, for a couple years I felt completely on fire for the Lord. But about three or four years in, I remember something started to develop in my heart. It was one of the hardest seasons, I think, as a Christian, growing in my relationship with Jesus that I still address to this day. I remember a couple of my friends began to hurt me within the church. And not that they hurt me in some overly overt way, but maybe I just had higher expectations because they're Christians. And so they began to hurt me, but I never addressed it in my heart. I just said, oh, it's fine, whatever, whatever. I'm just going to let it slide, let it slide. Never addressed it in my heart. And all of a sudden, I began to notice my attitude towards people started to change. I wasn't really loving them anymore. Actually, I was kind of rude to them. I was angry at people. And then when things would happen, like someone would hurt me this much, I would respond like this. Because it was all the pent-up anger and frustration that was happening from past things, not necessarily what they did. In situations where I was called to be a reconciler, where I was called to forgive and fight for my friends, I just crossed my arms and judged them and let friendships fall to the wayside. That was a difficult place that I got to, but that didn't happen overnight. See, those places that we find ourselves in come from not processing and not forgiving certain things that happen within us. And I think one of the things that's so interesting about that season for me is that plenty of times God was trying to speak to me. God was trying to plant a seed in my heart that says, no, you need to forgive. You need to love. You need to, you need to be the bigger man in this. And yet because my heart was so hard, it just sat on the surface and got plucked away. Obviously, God was graceful, and eventually... I was able to bring my heart to him, and that's something that we have to guard against daily. But God doesn't want us to have a hard heart. He doesn't want us to be in a place where we're not, we can't even hear his words because we're living in our own pain and we're living in our own suffering. We're living in our own generalizations about the people and the things around us. Where are places in your heart that you're hard this morning? I believe and I see people around the room that are struggling with their parents this morning. I see people who are hurt by the situations with things that have happened between their parents and their marriage. And I know it weighs on them. And I know that there's hard-heartedness that gets developed in that that says that can never be fixed and love isn't real. God couldn't be real because this is happening. I know there are people in this room this morning that are struggling with addictions and say, well, if I can't get out of this, then maybe God isn't real or maybe he doesn't love me. And hard-heartedness begins to develop. Maybe you're in here this morning and you just don't have many friends and you think, well, if, if they're not going to be my friends or I've had friends that have hurt me and turned their back on me, then maybe I just have to take care of myself and I don't need them. I don't need God. I don't need anyone. This morning, God wants to soften your heart. God wants to address that in your heart this morning. Only Jesus is the one who can help us overcome hard-heartedness. Like we said, when it comes to a seed that's planted, that it begins with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And only with the death and the resurrection of Jesus could you make a hard heart and make it soft. It's true. In fact, in Ezekiel 26, 36, God is speaking to his people, and he's talking about a future day when Jesus would come, and he says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. 
You know what he was referring to? He was referring to Jesus coming to earth. Referring to Jesus dying for our sins and rising again. Isn't that interesting? If you have a, a place in your heart that's really hard or a stone against people or situations or things that have happened, the answer is in Jesus. The answer isn't in bitterness. The answer isn't in hating them. The answer isn't in judging them. The answer isn't in separating yourselves. The answer is by coming to Jesus, letting Jesus forgive surrendering that situation. And if you're here this morning and you see something, maybe you've just saw things in the world and you're like, where the heck is God in this? That ultimately, it starts by just saying, I trust Jesus with this situation and I'm going to give this to him. Maybe you're here and there are people in your life that have hurt you and you haven't forgave them or you're like, well, maybe they need to come forgive me or they need to come and ask for forgiveness before I forgive them. And God is saying this morning, you just need to forgive them and surrender that this morning. Maybe you're here and you can't even forgive yourself for things that you've done or things that you struggle with. And you live in shame, you're self-deprecating. And this morning, you just have to surrender and say, I trust your unfailing love over me that you love me and forgive me. And that you see me as daughter or son.